Hi, friends. I'm Annie F. Downs. Let's read the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the stories of Jesus Christ's life on earth, the friendships, the parables, the sacrifices, the meals, and the miracles. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. This is the start of a really important week for many people, the start of Holy Week that leads to next Sunday being Easter for all of us, except our Greek Orthodox friends who have one more week. Y'all, we're so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Every month, We read all four books. It's about three chapters a day, 20-ish minutes. So if you have not subscribed yet, go ahead and do that and join us as we read the Gospels. Just commit to this month with us, just 30 days. And I wonder how your life might be different at the end of this 30 days. No matter what you already know or think about Jesus or where your faith journey has led you so far, I wonder if this simple new rhythm could really shape your life for the better. It has mine. Um, We have two resources available for you besides the Sailor Podcast. One is the April Reading Plan. And the other is the Let's Read the Gospels guidebook. Those are both available to you at AnnieFDowns.com slash Gospels. So I'll read you three chapters today. You can listen or read along in your own Bible, and then I'll pray, and that's it. Today is April 2nd, day two of the month, and I'll be reading Luke chapters four through six. And this month I'm reading from The Message. Luke 4. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For forty wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, They're yours and all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours, the whole works. Jesus refused, again backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. He said, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Yes, said Jesus, and it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. That completed the testing. The devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. Jesus returned to Galilee, powerful in the spirit. News that he was back spread through the countryside. He taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. He came to Nazareth where he had been raised. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor sent me to announce pardoned prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's time to shine. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the place was on him intent. Then he started in, you've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. All who were there watching and listening were surprised at how well he spoke. But they also said, Isn't this Joseph's son, the one we've known since he was just a kid? He answered, I suppose you're going to quote the proverb, Doctor, go heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. 
Well, let me tell you something. No prophet is ever welcomed in his hometown. Isn't it a fact that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah during that three and a half years of drought when famine devastated the land, but the only widow to whom Elijah was sent was in Sarepta in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. That set everyone in the meeting place seething with anger. They threw him out, banishing him from the village, then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. But he gave them the slip and was on his way. He went down to Capernaum, a village in Galilee. He was teaching the people on the Sabbath. They were surprised and impressed. His teaching was so forthright, so confident, so authoritative, not the quibbling and quoting they were used to. In the meeting place that day, there was a man demonically disturbed. He screamed, Stop! What business do you have here with us, Jesus? Nazarene, I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. Jesus shut him up. Quiet, get out of him. The demonic spirit threw the man down in front of them all and left. The demon didn't hurt him. That knocked the wind out of everyone and got them whispering and wondering, what's going on here? Someone whose words make things happen? Someone who orders demonic spirits to get out and they go? Jesus was the talk of the town. He left the meeting place and went to Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was running a high fever and they asked him to do something for her. He stood over her, told the fever to leave, and it left. Before they knew it, she was up getting dinner for them. When the sun went down, everyone who had anyone sick with some ailment or other brought them to him. One by one, he placed his hands on them and healed them. Demons left in droves, screaming, Son of God, you're the Son of God. But he shut them up, refusing to let them speak, because they knew too much, knew him to be the Messiah. He left the next day for open country, but the crowds went looking, and when they found him, clung to him so he couldn't go on. He told them, Don't you realize that there are yet other villages where I have to tell the message of God's kingdom, that this is the work God sent me to do? Meanwhile, he continued preaching in the meeting places of Galilee. Luke 5 Once, when he was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, "'Push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch.' Simon said, "'Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets.' It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, There's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. One day, in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, If you want to, you can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to. Be clean. Then and there his skin was smooth, the leprosy gone. 
Jesus instructed him, don't talk about this all over town. Just quietly present your healed self to the priest, along with the offering ordered by Moses. Your cleansed and obedient life, not your words, will bear witness to what I've done. But the man couldn't keep it to himself, and the word got out. Soon, a large crowd of people had gathered to listen and be healed of their sicknesses. As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and religion teachers were sitting around. They had come from nearly every village in Galilee and Judea, even as far away as Jerusalem to be there. The healing power of God was on him. Some men arrived carrying a paraplegic on a stretcher. They were looking for a way to get into the house and set him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, removed some tiles, and let him down in the middle of everyone right in front of Jesus. Impressed by their bold belief, he said, "'Friend, I forgive your sins.'" That set the religion scholars and Pharisees buzzing. "'Who does he think he is? That's blasphemous talk. God and only God can forgive sins.'" Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking and said, why all this gossipy whispering? Which is simpler, to say, I forgive your sins, or to say, get up and start walking? Well, just so it's clear that I'm the son of man and authorized to do either or both, he now spoke directly to the paraplegic. Get up, take your bedroll and go home. Without a moment's hesitation, he did it, got up, took his blanket and left for home, giving glory to God all the way. The people rubbed their eyes, stunned, and then also gave glory to God. Awestruck, they said, we've never seen anything like that. After this, he went out and saw a man named Levi at his work collecting taxes. Jesus said, come along with me. And he did, walked away from everything and went with him. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with misfits and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. They asked him, John's disciples are well known for keeping fasts and saying prayers, also the Pharisees, but you seem to spend most of your time at parties. Why? Jesus said, when you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and wine. You feast. Later, you may need to exercise moderation, but this isn't the time. As long as the bride and groom are with you, you have a good time. When the groom is gone, the fasting can begin. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. This is kingdom come. No one cuts up a fine silk scarf to patch old work clothes. You want fabrics that match. And you don't put wine in old cracked bottles. You get strong, clean bottles for your fresh vintage wine. And no one who has ever tasted fine aged wine prefers unaged wine. Luke 6. On a certain Sabbath, Jesus was walking through a field of ripe grain. His disciples were pulling off heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands to get rid of the chaff and eating them. Some Pharisees said, why are you doing that, breaking a Sabbath rule? But Jesus stood up for them. Have you never read what David and those with him did when they were hungry? How he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat. He also handed it out to his companions. Then he said, the son of man is no slave to the Sabbath. He's in charge. On another Sabbath, he went to the meeting place and taught. There was a man there with a crippled right hand. 
the religion scholars and Pharisees had their eyes on Jesus to see if he would heal the man, hoping to catch him in a Sabbath violation. He knew what they were up to and spoke to the man with the crippled hand. Get up and stand here before us. He did. Then Jesus addressed them. Let me ask you something. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? He looked around, looked at each one in the eye. He said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out. It was as good as new. They were beside themselves with anger and started plotting how they might get even with him. At about that same time, he climbed a mountain to pray. He was there all night in prayer before God. The next day, he summoned his disciples. From them, he selected 12 he designated as apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Coming down off the mountain with them, he stood on a plain surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him, so much energy surging from him, so many people healed. Then he spoke, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry, then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely, joy comes with the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb, if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. But it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more payback, live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us. 
generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. He quoted a proverb. Can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this, I know better than you mentality again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. That is chapters four through six in the message. Let's pray. Yeah, God, these are foundation words to build a life on. So help us to do that. Help us to remember that, that, that everything Jesus says is something we can build our lives on. We know this is trustworthy and true. And God, wherever we are today, however we think about the Bible or feel about the Bible of, is this really something that's from God? Would you strengthen that yes in us today? Even if it's the tiniest yes, would you make it a little less tiny? This is foundation words. These are words straight from you. And we're thankful. We're thankful. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.